Kings chapter uh, chapter four this morning. The book of Second Kings, chapter four. Um, we're going to go into the Word of God this morning, and I'm going to uh, preach to you for a few moments. A story that I picked up uh, that came from China uh, was in a residential building of Zhaotong, Yunnan. This was the wife, uh, a story about a wife who was making Chinese medicine for her husband who was in poor health. Unexpectedly, the husband suddenly, after taking the medicine, vomited and became unconscious after drinking it. The wife immediately called the relatives and sent her husband to the hospital for rescue. However, the husband died a few days later. However, the police car quickly came to the door and took the wife away. Now, neighbors were, were very surprised by this because the husband had just passed away and why would a police car come and take the wife away? And it turns out that this is a realistic version of the Wu Dalang case. She wanted to leave her husband and live with others because of her husband's emotional disharmony. So she mixed a small amount of highly toxic pesticide in the Chinese medicine and gave it to her husband to drink. You know, one of the truths that you and I must do bring ourselves to realize, beloved, is the enemy is always finding ways to poison us. Whether it's our mind, whether it's our heart, he finds things that we are associated with. It can be relationship, it can be a job, it can be family, it can be a, a church, it can be a ministry, it can be anything that you're involved in. And the moment you try to participate or get involved in it, there's some things the enemy will do to, to poison or to violate or to bring an element of deadliness. Part of our walk with God involves sanctification. This word sanctification is best explained work in progress. In other words, all of us seated here, we have a relationship with God. We have given our life to Christ somewhere. We have confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord. We have made that call. We have declared that we have chosen to be a believer. But in the process of that, there are things inside of us internally that God needs to change. And therefore, the term work in progress becomes a reality. We are all a work in progress. We are all being sanctified day to day, day in and day out. God is changing us. God is transforming us. And God is doing a work in us. Thank you, baby. And in correlation to that, what we permit into our lives, what we allow into our lives will determine life or death in us. It is impossible to assume this morning that life has no consequences. How many know that life 
has consequences. This man drank the poison and he faced the consequence of drinking the poison. And therefore, beloved, listen to me. There are things we commit. There are things that we do. There are things we are involved in and we are ignorantly involved in it. Just like this man had no clue that this poison was going to kill him or this medicine that he assumed was good was going to kill him. But yet, the consequences of it, ignorant or non-ignorant, will have its effect on you. And that's the danger this morning. I want to talk about this morning uh, the, a sermon I've called Cleansing the Pot, 2 Kings chapter 4, the book of 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 38 through 41. And Elisha returned to Gilgal, and there was a famine in the land. Now the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, and he said to his servants, Put on the large pot, boil stew for the sons of the prophets. So one went out into the field to gather herbs, found a wild wine, a vine, and gathered from it a lap full of wild gods, uh, and came and sliced them into the pot of stew, though they did not know what they were. Then they served it to the men to eat. Now it happened as they were eating the stew that they cried out and said, Men of God, there is death in the pot and they could not eat it. So he said, Then bring some flour. And he put it into the pot and said, Serve it to the people that they may eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. So now we go back to a season of famine in the land of Israel. There's no food. There's dryness, there's barrenness. People are dying because they are not being fed and they're not eating. And here we find Elisha experiencing one of the most notable miracles. He's seen God move on countless occasions and this is one of those. And we find that in the story, Elisha experiences, experiences God doing a miracle, a pot that was filled with death amongst the disciples. And they were supposed to eat of this. And they knew the repercussions, the consequences of this. And yet God brought healing upon that pot. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you, that's why it's important you pray for your food before you eat. <laughs> but anyway, that is a different sermon. But here we find in this passage the term, the God, the, the bitter God, right? Bitter God. Whatever you call it, God. I'm, I, I always have to use the word bitter in order to get the word God correct. So, so anyway, this is a, this is a certain type of uh, a vegetable. And it is known as the wild gods. It has been identified with the fruit of the cucumber. The squirting cucumber. In fact, if you look up, look up a picture of it, you would see it. This little god, about one and a half to two inches long, when fully ripe, suddenly when touched or shaken, the bitter, irritating juice is squirted to a considerable distance. Then the seeds are thrown all around. It is exceedingly common in Palestine and its familiar poisonous properties as a drastic catartic uh, made it unlikely that under any circumstances its fruit could be mistaken for any edible god. In no way vine-like. 
And so they say that this view that we find in this passage, it was in appearance, the stem is stiff and upright. There are no tendrils. The traditional plant, cucumis, propheterum, which grows in the desert, has small gods, has nothing really to recommend it. By far the most probable plant is this called, and I think it's a scientific term, colocynth, citrullus colocynthus, belonging like the two last, or the last two, the natural order. And from the cucumber tree, this view has the support. It's a vine-like plant which spreads over the ground, attaches itself by its spiral tendrils to other plants. The rounded gourds are three inches or more in diameter and contain a pulp inside of it that's intensely bitter. And in any but minute quantities, even a slight bit of this contains poison. So I'll tell you a story in a while about people who drink this in India. <laughs> I was going to say only in India, but I can't say that because we're in Malaysia. But the truth is, the young men who found this, little did they know much about this. They brought this wild god. They brought it because they were hungry. No doubt it was a famine. And all these young men, they were known as disciples, the sons of the prophets. They were schooling with Elisha. And so Elisha invited them on a feast to eat because there was nothing for them. And so he says, bring the big pot. You read that. Bring the large pot and cook stew for all these young men so they may eat of it and they can go on. And part of this group went out into the jungles, into the land, and they begin to source, and they found this wild herb, this wild gourd. They brought it by labfuls, according to the scripture, and they threw it into the mix. And now, as we think about that, they threw this into the pot. But when I was reading this, I realized that when you look at the wild gourd, it isn't dangerous looking. In fact, one would think this is safe to consume. It had an appealing color to it. It had an appealing look to it. So it is, it is needless to say that these young men, as innocent and as ignorant they, as they were, they only meant well for everyone else. They didn't do this to kill anyone. They didn't take the wild guard to throw it into the pot so that everyone, they didn't plan this, they didn't plot this, they didn't intend for this to happen. But essentially, what we see taking place is that these men begin to come together and they say, there is death in the pot. In fact, one would say that this young man who went to source for the wild god was helpful and resourceful. He knew where to find it. He brought, he threw it in. And the, uh, the elements that begin to struck a chord with me in this passage is that the Bible says they did not know what they were in verses 39, if we can put that up. In other words, they threw into the pot what they had no clue what it would do. And this is life, isn't it? You've heard the term that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. We are surrounded with people around us who mean well for us. They are not evil people. They are not wicked people. 
But sometimes well-meaning people can do more harm to you and I than good people. Sometimes well-meaning or, or rather evil people. It is, it is no doubt that there are people who surround us who are well-intentioned. There are people who surround us who mean what is good. Yet their advice, you listen to their counsel, you have relationship with them. And what it does is it does more harm in us than good. They are well-intentioned. They bring the, the, the wild God, they throw it in, they, the purpose of it is so you will have something to eat. Yet you know, beloved, the truth is, they know not the damage that that God, that herb does to you. They have no clue. These are advisors that we give young people today who are, you know, well-intentioned adults who give young people advisors and say, yeah, it's okay to do certain things. It's acceptable to do certain things. We make it sound like it's okay. We as older people, we as matured and adults have gone past the stage in life and it seems so harmless. But sometimes those advisors Advices, those sermons maybe, those messages maybe, uh, those counsel maybe, could have detrimental effect on their life years down the road. That poison is being imparted. The effects of it, like this man, he drank the poison. It didn't affect him. He didn't die immediately. Adam and Eve ate the fruit. She didn't die immediately. But you believe in the law of consequences. You must also believe in the law of ramification. There is a law of sowing and reaping. What you sow today, you will reap one day. What you put into your body what you consume. People find out 10, 15, 20, 30 years later that it could be nicotine maybe. It could be certain type of food they've eaten, sugar maybe, that have led them to become a diabetic eventually or, or you know, uh, uh, eventually they eat too much uh, 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 of something that, that affects them. Maybe burgers, that they look so much like a burger. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. <laughs> but you know, because I think years ago, years ago, there was a pastor who made a statement, going to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger. <laughs> right? But the truth is, beloved, you are the byproduct of what you eat. Amen. There are effects. There are ramifications. There are sowing and reaping effects. You don't feel it today. Ten years down the road. We know the story of Abraham and Sarah. We know that this man uh, slept with his maid servant. His wife, uh, uh, you know, couldn't have children. So he approached his wife and said, you know what, is it okay? And his wife gave him the green light to do it. And today, part of that action, part of that response, part of that sin resulted in the birth of the Arab, na the, the Arab nations, the Middle East nations, the seven nations that are constantly attacking Israel today. Islam was birthed from there. The damage, the effects, all from an action that a person committed years, thousands upon thousands of years ago. 
People would think they're doing you a favor. But their counsel and their advice is danger, not only to you. Just like the Bible says in verses 40, they served it to the men. Everyone who was there ate from that same pot. Often this can especially come from people who are closest to us, families, friends, people we never second guess, that give us very concerning advice, but unhelpful to our soul. So that's where I want to talk to you about wisdom and discernment. Because one of the main contexts that you find in this passage is the presence of wisdom and discernment. Wisdom and discernment are virtues that will protect you and vindicate you from being poisoned. The story about Kael Dargah, a 60-year-old native uh, man uh, from India, he uh, did not have anybody to warn him when he drank a glass of fresh bottle gourd, dudi. They call it dudi juice in Delhi, in India. Daga had no reason to suspect that the innocent-looking dudi, for he had been drinking a glass of dudi juice on an empty stomach every morning for the last 20 years. But this time... That healthy drink almost got him killed for he ignored the fact that the duty juice tasted bitter when he drank it. In fact, experts say one needs to stay away from the bitter bottle gourd, cucumber, squash, pumpkin and melon. These vegetables, which are considered one of the healthiest, belong to the QQ beet. Spell it out for you. C-U-C-U-R-B-I-T-A-C-E-A-E family. And so this man drank this and uh, eventually what had happened was he began vomiting blood and he said, the last time when I drank a freshly extracted bottle gourd juice, it tasted quite bitter. Usually, the juice has no taste. Bro, it doesn't taste the same. Stop drinking it. You, for 20 years you drank that, had no taste, and all of a sudden it has a bitter taste. Wouldn't that... Something is not the same here. But you know what most people do? Ah, And they keep drinking it. Am I right? And so what happened is, Within minutes, he says, I had severe stomach ache and I started vomiting blood. Daga said that the bottle God used for extracting the juice was innocuous as any other. Within minutes of consuming the bitter juice, Daga felt sweaty, dizzy and collapsed. He was rushed to the Apollo Hospital's emergency department. The doctor there said, we treated Daga for a case of bottle God poisoning. He was also treated for blood vomiting. And then he went on to say that the endoscopy revealed that his stomach was found to be bleeding profusely. Some swelling and bleeding was also noticed in the upper small intestine. The state of the stomach was such as one would get to see if a person consumed acid used for toilet cleaning. So, think with me for a few moments. How many times 
we would be typically like these men around the pot. It's famine season. Everyone is hungry. And even when the stew tastes different, we just keep... Any difference, guys? No, a little bit bitter. Keep eating it. Our subconscious mind doesn't allow our brains to kick in and think something is not right with this. That's where wisdom and discernment will save your life, beloved. As we look at this passage, we realize it's not only what you allow into your life that affects you, but also who you allow into your life that determines life or death. The men in our text ate, and immediately we find in this passage, thank God, that something was not right, something was different, they knew something was off, and they cried out to the man of God, I want to make a statement to you, this right here is a picture of discernment and wisdom. How is that so? Very simply, discernment was their ability to judge. I want you to get this. If you don't get anything else I say in this message, please get this. Discernment is the ability to judge. That means when I take a, a, a swipe at that, at that food, I know, hey, this is not right. Something is wrong here. Something is not right. Something is off right here. That's discernment. The ability to judge. You know what wisdom is? Wisdom is the ability to respond correctly to that judgment. I want you to get that. Because you see, the problem is, people have discernment. They will tell you, this is wrong. This is not right. I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't do that. I, you know, this is not acceptable. They will look at, a, they will look at something and say, ah, it doesn't make sense. They will judge it. But you know the mistake they make? Is they respond. Discernment is present. Discernment can come through your years of experience. Discernment can come because you've lived life long enough. Discernment can come because you've heard it said to you time and time again. You know how to, know, you know how to determine, gauge what's right and what's wrong. So when these men were there, they've been eating stew for a number of years. Now they realize this is not normal. They discerned something was wrong. But what are you going to do after you know something is wrong? Is what matters. Because the wisdom that these men had, the Bible says, they immediately shouted to the man of God. They didn't shout at the man of God. <laughs> okay? I know some of you are like, whoa, this is my golden opportunity. No, no, no. They, they shouted to the man of God. They said, man of God, there's something in this. Something not right about this. Something doesn't taste good. They immediately responded correctly. This is what you have to catch this morning. Discernment is the ability to judge. Wisdom is the, is the ability to respond correctly to the judgment. And what did these men do? They responded 
correctly. See, this is a generation today, beloved. Go on the internet. I read a lot. I, I spend time uh, uh, digging into subject matters that I want to learn about. It's a generation of great resources. A generation with great knowledge. A generation that has so much understanding per se in subject matters, yet soberingly, the truth is, a generation that greatly lacks discernment and wisdom. This is a generation that can quote the Bible, refer to scriptures, justify their actions, but have no discernment to know what is right or wrong and the wisdom to respond correctly. For many, their spiritual palate has become so abused and reconditioned. Now the spiritual things of God doesn't seem to be appealing to you anymore. Now there are other things that you seem to be more attracted to. There are other things that seem to be more enticing, as you heard me say, artificial satisfaction. You're running after sneaker bars instead of fresh strawberries. You remember, I, I pulled that out before. And, and, and you, you look at the sneaker bar and you look at the strawberry and you know what? Your brain, your taste buds, your palate desires the sneaker bar, the sugar rush. And the moment you take a bite into that sugar, the moment you take a bite into that sneaker bar, you completely lose your appetite for fresh, healthy strawberries. So what happens with people is they start eating the stew and then they start justifying it. You know, years ago or maybe a few, yeah, maybe a, two years ago, uh, I remember we went for dinner with the family and so I ordered a cup of coffee. And so I think it might have been a, a, a coffee with milk, cappuccino, latte, one of that. And so I, um, uh, you know, I, I, I love coffee. I love coffee. And so uh, I'm, I'm sipping away. I'm drinking. And uh, so I, I left it. And, you know, my wife takes a sip. She says, this coffee tastes bad. <laughs> they are laughing because they know what happened. And said, so this coffee tastes bad. I said, nah, it's the beans they're using. <laughs> you know, and so I'm trying to justify, because I've tried so many different beans. So you sometimes just have to conclude it's the beans. And so long story short, I just kept sipping away until I finished the whole cup. And then they, these two, I think they ordered a coffee as well. And they had not taken a sip until I finished mine. And after I had completed mine, they took a sip and they said, Pastor, it's the milk. The milk is spoiled. <laughs> but I justified it by saying, it's the coffee beans. Maybe it's Italian roast or, you know. <laughs> and so I made, I, I, I just completely wrote it off saying, it's... it's Nothing else. It's just the, and later we really found out that the milk was curd. You know, it become like curd type substance, and it was a thick. <laughs> I'm happy to report I didn't fall sick. But how many know that sometimes the way we go through life, we know something is not right. We could be a doctrine. It could be an action. 
It could be the way we're behaving. It could be our character. It could be our attitude. It's poison to our soul. It's going to kill us. We're listening to things that we know that today may not affect us, but it will catch up to us years down the road and it will kill us. And what we do, we just keep eating it. We just keep going at it. We just keep consuming it. Listen, beloved, this is exactly what we must stay away from. We underestimate the power of little. You know, when they looked at the large pot, they would have thought, how bad can this wild God be? How bad can we? In the midst of all these other, the other ingredients, in the midst of this water, in the midst of the stew, in the midst of all, how bad can this small little thing, really, three inches big, how bad can it be? He throwed a lapful in. But how many know, beloved, that they've said that in rat poison, 99% are good ingredients. It's 1% that kills the rat. Don't try lah, okay? <laughs> you go home, you take a rat poison, you look at it. 99% of the ingredients are actually good ingredients. It's only 1% poison in rat poison. And it kills the rat. We know because Brother Victor has been killing a lot of rats. He's the, he's the terminator. Exterminator. The effects this morning of the poison, the effects of the poison, isn't on the outside, but internally. It affects your heart. It literally damages you on the inside. On the outside, it may not seem harmful. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, as I bring this down to a close, we're going to pray in a moment. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? A little yeast can grow and become big. And that's a reality we must establish here, beloved. That a little bit of a poison, things that may, dip, may, may damage us, negative thoughts, pessimistic information, things that we feed ourselves with can essentially begin to take a toll on our life as a whole, beloved. And not only will it affect us, how many know there were people around eating from the same pot? Yeah. It will also kill them. So the question this morning is how do I cleanse this vessel? Because we have things in us that Jesus needs to cleanse. That's the point of this sermon. Is to ask God. You know what is so powerful about that scripture when David prayed that scripture? He said, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. You know what David was? It's not there, God. The clean heart is not there. Create it. You have to be aware that God can create from nothing. So my heart is not clean. But you can create a clean heart. That's why we come. We hear the preaching. We say, God, to the pure, all things are pure. Why am I so twisted in my thinking? Why do I see people in the 
wrong light? Why do I constantly perceive things so negatively? God created me a clean heart. There's poison in the pot. And you know what is so powerful? You cannot take the poison out. You can't. You just can't. I recently heard that if you make a broth, and if a broth was too salty, right? If it's just too salty, all you have to do is you slice a potato and you throw the potato into the broth and the potato will actually absorb all the salt. You know what most people try doing with life? They try removing the poison. Right? Or we try putting a bit more water in it. Right? And then it becomes too watery. You have to add all the other ingredients and so on and so forth. And so you cut a slice of potato, you put it in. Can I tell you, beloved, just like Elisha, he brought flour, he threw flour in. That's a picture of Jesus being thrown into the mix. That you know what? I can't clean myself up. I need Jesus to clean me up. I, 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 I don't see things with purity anymore. I have very, very wild thoughts. I have thoughts that seem to just, my heart is not clean, I know. I have negative perception about people. I'm so judgmental, I'm so accusing, I'm so condemning. I, I speak about people, I gossip, I slander. My heart is not clean. It's poison. And people are eating from this. My children, my spouse, people I lead, people who are around me are eating from this because I advise, I speak, I, I, I talk to them. And so whoever I have influence over is getting from the wellspring of my heart, which is so filled with bitterness, poison, it will kill people. And so the common, the common strategy that people apply is let's remove the poison. But I say to you, you can try until the cows come home. You'll never remove the poison. That's why they say that when Elisha threw in the flour, the starch and the involvement of starch would remove the poison from the God. And that's a picture, beloved. That you and I should know this morning that cleansing doesn't come from removing, but cleansing comes from adding. It is adding Jesus into your life. It is that potato, like I said earlier, you slice and you throw that into the broth, which is so salty. And now, you know, you know it's not edible. You can't consume it, but you throw it in. You don't take out what has been put in. You can't take the salt out. You can't remove the ingredients that have been mixed in. But you can add something to that equation to change the flavor, the taste the outcome of that broth. And that's the truth with Jesus. I was reading a story about a woman who wrote that at a garage sale, she had spotted a handsome antique copper kettle for only $2.50. It was badly tarnished. So she asked the woman who was running the sale if the discoloration would come out. 
she cheerfully offered to try some copper cleaner on it and disappeared into the house. So this woman took it back in. She said, I'll try to clean it up for you. She reappeared. Now she reappeared with the kettle shining like it's brand new. She used a cleaner to clean it up. But not only did she do that, she placed a new price tag on it. Now what was $2.50 before is $10. Four times the price. When the copper kettle first went on sale, the owner practically just gave it away. But something changed its worth is when the copper kettle was cleansed, the value changed. Can I tell you that a, a cleansed heart is an invaluable virtue and God wants us to be cleansed on the inside in John chapter 3 verses 30 the Bible says he must increase but I must decrease I read a very powerful statement that that just stuck with me and I want to share that to you it says Burke Parsons said these words. He says, we don't need more of Jesus, just less of self. We already have all of Jesus. Can I say that again? We actually don't need more of Jesus. We need less of self because we already have all of Jesus. Jesus is not a, a, a you know, a, a a gangster that, you know, when you go to him and say, hey, come into my life, he's like, okay, I'll give you 10% first. Take 10% of me. <laughs> and then after, you know, a while, you go back, Jesus, more of you, Jesus. Okay, bro, now, nah, 10 more percent, take more. No. He gives him all to you. Do you know that you have all of Jesus in you right now? You know the only thing that depletes Jesus in your life is you and me, is self. My selfish ways, my selfish uh, uh, nature, the things that I do, my selfishness is what really removes Jesus. It, de it deduces, it reduces, it de de uh, uh, deducts Jesus in my life. I actually have all of Him. You have all of Him. It's myself that reduces him. So the only way to cleanse the pot is by having more of Jesus. The wild God looked good on the outside, yet there was so much poison in it. And this is the picture of the doctrine we listen to. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Don't believe. 1 John 4, 1. Chun Kwang, we have that? I think he's got that. Uh, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Throwing away the pot this morning as I close would be an ignorant, insensitive thing to do. Why? You know it's famine. There's no food in the land. 
What insanity would drive a person to take the whole pot and throw it away? Can I tell you, that's never God's solution for our life. Take my life and just throw it away. I'm good for nothing. Useless. That is never God's solution. In fact, in Isaiah 65 verses 6, but we are all like unclean thing and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. We all fade as leaves and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. There seemed to be only one fix to the problem. Elijah had to add flour to the mix, which is a picture of Jesus being added into the mix. Can I encourage you this morning, beloved? Very simple message and I'm done. I've already switched it off, you can tell. But all I'm saying is this, a very simple message. Don't neglect Jesus. He is all you need in life. He is the most important being in life. When you have Jesus, beloved, in your mix, it's the only way your heart can stay clean, pure, and righteous. So all we're going to do this morning is maybe you have death in the pot right now. Maybe it's a curse. Things are just not working out. One after another, you can never seem to break free from, a, from this curse. Maybe it's man, mind battles, there's death in the pot. Every time you try to help yourself, every, it, it never seems to help. It just goes back to the same thing. Maybe it's a curse that someone has put on you. Maybe it's a curse that runs generationally in the family. You can break it this morning. You can take death out of the pot. It can be clean. It can become edible. And your life can be so fulfilling and satisfying that you will prosper in God. You don't need more of Jesus. You need less of self. I want you to bow your heads with me.